It's 1210. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I was listening during the commercial break. I heard people talking about Summerfest tickets. Summerfest sounds pretty good right now, um, but that's a little bit of a ways off. We are out on the road in the 620 WTMJ mobile studio, also known as the Big Talking Box. We are at Albrecht Century, right off of Highway 83 in Delafield. You can actually see our mobile broadcast facility from the freeway. I'm looking at the freeway right now. This is a location we've been at for a number of years now as part of our Capco WTMJ Kids to Kids Christmas Enterprise. I'm going to be here from noon until 3. We'll have the gang from Wisconsin's afternoon news here from 3. Three until six. Of course, we are doing as part of our kids to kids collection, uh, kids to kids toy effort collection of toys. Everybody knows the drill by now. We collect the toys based on your generosity, and then they end up getting distributed to children in need. This is our second big collection event. Then, of course, next week, next Saturday, a week from Saturday, there's a huge event at Capco that everyone is invited to. So stop by, say hello, drop off a toy, and we'll make sure we get it to the children that need it. Well, there's a lot of news going on. There's apparently later on this afternoon going to be court filings from Robert Mueller. The Trump administration is already preparing responses to those. That will be interesting to digest to see what Robert Mueller has to say. There are apparently major shakeups underway in the Trump administration. First of all, uh, John Kelly, This is no surprise. He's been the White House chief of staff for the last 16 months. General Kelly is apparently out. The word is that uh, he and President Trump don't even speak to each other anymore, which means it's kind of tough to have a chief of staff that you don't speak to if you are the president. They've apparently had a falling out of ways. John Kelly, Major Kelly, of course, being General Kelly being the, the second chief of staff. First chief of staff was Wright's Priebus. He lasted for a few months, so now we're apparently going to be moving on to the third chief of staff for the Trump administration. All the ex- expectation is that this is going to be the chief of staff, Nick Ayers, who's uh, the vice president's chief of staff, they think he's going to slide over into that gig. That's all going on. And, of course, the announcement that uh, Bill Barr, William Barr, has been tabbed to be or will be tabbed to be the next attorney general. Everybody knows the circumstances. Jeff Sessions senator from alabama was tabbed to be the first attorney general he and president trump um got off on the wrong foot immediately even though jeff sessions was very involved in the trump campaign because jeff sessions since he was involved in the trump campaign took the position that i think candidly he was ethically required to take that he was going to recuse himself in other words not be involved in any investigation of russian meddling into the trump campaign because he was involved in it well president trump never forgave him for that president trump i guess believed that gee if you were going first of all you should have done this and secondly if you were going to do it you should have told me in advance because i would have never nominated you to be attorney general if i knew this and because of all this this is why we have this robert Mueller thing going on so their their relationship has always been rocky. So Jeff Sessions was fired, stepped down a couple weeks ago, and you need a permanent attorney general. So now that the midterms are over, President Trump apparently is going to nominate uh, William Barr as attorney general. I know Bill Barr. Bill Barr was a longtime employee of the Justice Department back when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office. William Barr, Bill Barr, was the attorney general during the last couple years of the Bush administration, 91 to 93. I've met him on multiple occasions, or at least I had the opportunity to meet him on multiple occasions back then. He is, and I, I, I will tell you this, 
William Barr, at least the Bill Barr that I knew back then, the ultimate straight shooter. I, I think this is an outstanding outstanding appointment. Now, I don't know what you're going to hear about this later on from the talking heads or when you have, you know, the Washington spin machine that goes into effect. And candidly, I don't know a lot about what William Barr has been doing, you know, since he left the Justice Department in 93. He left when Bill Clinton came on board. That's kind of the dynamic of all this. But I will tell you this. William Barr is an experienced prosecutor. He is a straight shooter. In my opinion, he's an absolutely outstanding choice. As a matter of fact, when I heard this news, my first question was, candidly, why does he want to to get involved in this? Because you know there's going to be all this hostility and things like that. Bottom line, though, of all this is that um, it's a brilliant appointment, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of the partisanship that goes on. But the truth of the matter is, if President Trump, President Trump could have gone a lot farther and could have gone uh, done a lot worse than selecting William Barr to be the next Attorney General of the United States, he should sail through confirmation because you're not going to get a better, more straight shooter than William Barr. Just here to tell you that. All right, let's take a very quick break. When we come back, I want to start off the program with a con- controversy involving, of all things, the Oscars. Stick around. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Sentry in Delafield off of Highway 83 as part of Kids to Kids Christmas. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ again. We're broadcasting live from our 620 WTMJ mobile studio. We are at Albrecht Century, um, Highway 83 and I-43. We're I-94. We're out in Delafield, part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. Stop off, say hello, drop off some toys. We will be here. We, that is the Royal We, will be here till 6 o'clock this evening, all as part of the Kids to Kids Christmas toy collection event. All right. Kevin Hart. Everybody know who Kevin Hart is? Kevin Hart is an African-American comedian, starred in a series of movies. It was announced either yesterday or two days ago that Kevin Hart would be the host of the Oscars this year. Now, the interesting thing about the the Oscars, which are held in, in late February... They had trouble finding somebody that was going to be willing to host the Oscars because it is a completely and totally thankless job. Everybody's a critic. There's been all sorts of screw-ups over the last few years, and it's not as attractive a gig as you might think. So anyhow, the Academy announced earlier this week that Kevin Hart would be the host of the Oscars. All right, so, all right, that's fine. Well, immediately what happened, and this is the, this is what happens in this day and age. As soon as it was announced that Kevin Hart was going to be the, the host of the Oscars, uh, what you saw, and Kevin Hart got in a little trouble a few weeks ago because he had a politically incorrect birthday party for his 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 kid, where the theme was kind of like cowboys and Indians. But in any event, Kevin Hart, as soon as he starts all, as soon as it's announced that this is going to be what Kevin Hart does, people start again going back into the past and looking at various tweets that he put out. Now, Kevin Hart is a stand-up comedian as well as being a movie actor. And what they find is that going back to 2009 and 2010 and some into 2011, when they look at his Twitter account, they find that he has he would send out from time to time what you could describe as gay, quote-unquote, jokes. All right, and I'm, I'm putting that in, in quotation marks. But, you know, he would say things where he would make fun of people who were gay. 
for example, um, he would say something like that, like um, various homophobic slurs. Why does, you know, Damian Wyand's profile pic look like, picture look like a gay billboard for, for AIDS, for example? Um, let's see. Another one that he said, you know, all these women are asking me where the picture is. I'm not passing along a picture of a naked man. That would make me gay by association. So he's making a number of these references that I don't think it's particularly funny. And, you know, you can certainly argue or homophobic. But he apparently did gay jokes in his routine back in the day. He stopped doing these apparently in 2011, which kind of corresponds to when his movies started doing pretty well. But you have these tweets and things like that that are back out in in his past. Well, they immediately surface once it's found out, once it's announced that he's going to be hosting the Oscars. So you then get this immediate blowback from social media. People are saying, how can the Oscars even consider putting somebody on the stage who at one point in time in his career, you know, put out the, these homophobic tweets, etc., etc., or joked about sexuality or things like that. And so immediately there is pressure on the people at the Oscars to dump Kevin Hart. So they go to Kevin Hart. And they apparently say, all right, here's the deal. Um, If you want to keep this gig hosting the Oscars, you are going to have to immediately come out and apologize for all these various tweets that you put out and the jokes you made back then. You know, you're going to have to uh, apologize. And, you know, if you apologize, you know, we'll consider letting you, you stay on. And he apparently thought about it for all of about 15 seconds and then said, well, no. He said, I'm, I'm not going to do this. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to step down myself. He said, look, I, I recognize that um, now I have become a distraction for this, but I'm, I'm not going to apologize for this stuff that I said or did years and years ago. Just not going to do it. And so he's out. Let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. All right, should Kevin Hart have been forced out for really, you know, jokes, and I say that in quotation marks, but stuff that he said, you know, going on 10 years ago. They can't find any sort of repeat. This, like I say, it stopped pretty much in 2011. But is he now moving forward? Is it Unsuitable is he unsuitable to again host the Oscars? Is the only way that he could continue to do a high-profile job like this is if he came out publicly and fell on his sword and apologized and begged forgiveness? Or at some point in time, do you have to say, okay, these are the things the guy said. It's eleven. It's ten years ago, or whatever. You know, we are moving on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. Jordan's back in the studio lining up the calls. We'll discuss in just a moment, should Kevin Hart have essentially been forced out of the Oscars over tweets slash jokes that he put out on the Internet 10 years ago? 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, I mean, okay, this is what Kevin Hart says. He says, look, Stop looking for reasons to be negative. If you, if you want to search my history or past and get mad with what you find, that's fine with me. I'm almost 40 years old, and I'm happy with the person I'm becoming. My team calls me says, oh, my God, Kevin, the world is upset about tweets you wrote eight years ago. He says, if you don't believe people change, grow, evolve as they get older, then I don't know what to tell you. If you want to hold people in a position where they always have to justify or explain their past, go ahead. But I'm the wrong guy. 
414-799-1620. Let's start with David in Mequon. David, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you know what? I agree with uh, what Kevin Hart uh, stated because I mean, the politically correct crowd now is just going beyond overboard. And it's scary. It's like you almost can't say anything without some sort of retribution and, and, mm-hmm. and calling you a you know, racist or homophobic and all this stuff. And, you know, that's what made him... A comedian. I mean, I mean, if you don't like his jokes, then you don't go to a show. Um, and if he was tweeting that like from ten years ago, no, you shouldn't have to apologize for something that he said because he, you know, if he's stating he's a different person today, then yeah. you know we have to look at the present. If he was saying something about today and he was saying something maybe a little off color or whatever, right. then maybe you could make an argument. But if, again, I think. You have to look at all the other things put together. I mean, you would never have Eddie Murphy then. You wouldn't have Richard Pryor. You would have, you know, I mean, you would have a lot of these comedians back from that time period. There would be no way that they would be able to to do anything like this based upon what, you know, if they're going to go back and they're going to judge that, that's just... Yeah, David, you're you're right. I I mean, thanks for the call. I appreciate you joining us. I mean, see, this is the problem, of course, that you have. I mean, the the guy... And again, you you can argue whether or not the jokes were ever funny or whether they were appropriate or whatever, but it was part of his act. It was part of these things that he ended up doing. And a lot of people, by the way, did make these kind of references. doesn't make them right. Not saying that. But, I mean, this is another one of the examples of, all right, now, now what are you going to do? You're going to go back, and I think it is interesting that as soon as they announced that he's the guy that's going to host the Oscars. Then, of course, everybody is scouring the internet. Oh, did you see what this guy said in 2009? And, I mean, I do give him a little bit of credit for saying, look, I don't want to be a distraction here, but I am not going to I'm not going to just prostrate myself on, on the pillars of political correctness and beg forgiveness for you know something that I might have tweeted out back in 2009. 414-799-1620. Jim in Oconomowoc. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, and thanks. Hi, I appreciate your show. Um, Thank you. But uh, my take on the issue is I don't think Kevin Hart should have apologized either. He is a comedian. Hollywood's going to do what they're going to do. But Considering what Hollywood supports, I think his comments probably, as a comedian, were less offensive than Sarah Silverman's or having, you know, Trump's head, you know, depicted. Right. It is interesting, you know, what we get outraged about. Now, thanks for the call, Jim. I mean, it is outraged about what we get out, what we, what we get upset about. And I mean, and I, look, I, I, I can, t- I, I don't care personally whether Kevin Hart hosts, whether, um, you know, he hosts the Oscars or where somebody else hosts the Oscars. It doesn't matter. It's not, not on my radar screen. I typically don't watch that show anymore anyhow. But at the same time, you do sort of wonder, is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? And, and what about, what about what we talk about with people being artists and this ability to express yourself? Well, th- does that only go one way? And the fact that, oh, you know, he made jokes about this. And look, and I, I'm not arguing they were funny. I'm not arguing that they were appropriate. But, I mean, it, it was part of his past. So what do you accomplish? And I, I candidly, I don't think he's sorry for what he said back in 2009. I think what he's trying to say is, look, I'm a kind of a different guy. I wouldn't tell those jokes. They're not part of my routine now in 2018. But 
but you know what? I'm not going to go back and I'm not going to beg forgiveness for something I did in 2009 or 2010. And if it ends up costing me the gig, fine. I don't need the gig. I think it's an interesting take, and I think a lot of people might be paying more attention to Kevin Hart than maybe they did before. It's 12.35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And we're broadcasting live from Albrecht Century, Delafield, right off of Highway 83 in the freeway. We're in the 620 WTMJ mobile studio. It's part of our Capco Kids to Kids Christmas toy collection event. I'm going to be here till 3, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, here till 6 as we collect toys. They will ultimately, well, they all end up going out to Capco for their big event a week from Saturday. And then they all get placed through various different agencies and our friends at the Salvation Army. These toys get distributed to needy children. It's... um really been amazing to be involved with this for the last uh, 13 years so if you happen to be in the area stop by and drop off a toy all right of course our kids to kids christmas campaign involves christmas and it involves the holidays and getting toys to kids want to tell you this story about a new elementary school principal at a store at a elementary school in in omaha nebraska but this could happen anywhere apparently the principal decided that she wanted to make sure that nobody felt left out at Christmas time. Because, I mean, there are, there are some kids who, of course, you know, don't celebrate Christmas. There are some kids who don't celebrate Hanukkah. They're, you know, whatever. It, it just varies. So she wanted to make sure that everybody felt included. So she sent out a memorandum to her staff about what was going to be acceptable in the elementary school this year and what was it for example she said at the beginning that um, generic winter themed items if you want to you know decorate you know the rooms these are some of the things that would be appropriate snowmen snow women snow people snowflakes i say that without a touch of irony gingerbread people sledding hot chocolate polar bears penguins Scarves, boots, earmuffs, and hats. Or, um, let's see, Olaf, the snowman from the movie Frozen. Okay, so if you're going to put up decorations, these are the types of things that you can have. Snowmen, snow women, snow people, snowflakes, gingerbread people, uh, images of sledding, hot chocolate, polar bears, etc. The list of not acceptable practices includes Santa's or Christmas items, Christmas trees in classrooms, no reference to Elf on the Shelf, that's Christmas-related, no singing Christmas carols, no playing Christmas music, no making a Christmas ornament as a gift, because this assumes that the family has a Christmas tree, which assumes that they celebrate Christmas. All right, one of my favorites on this list, no candy canes in the classroom. According to this public school principal, candy canes are Christmas-related. Historically, the shape is in a J, and that stands for Jesus. The red is for the blood of Christ. The white is a symbol of his resurrection. Um, but even though, even you, even if you know you've got the red and white, and even if you were to have multi other colored Christmas candy canes, don't do it because there'd be too much sign of confusion. The J is for Jesus. All right, the list goes on. No red or green items, because these are traditional Christmas colors. 
No references to reindeer because, you know, Rudolph and the reindeer pull Santa's sleigh. And then, of course, no Christmas videos, movies, and or characters from Christmas movies with the emphasis added. So presumably no Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, none of that. All right, these were all banned in the classrooms around Christmas time because we don't want any of the children to feel like they are not included. Well, after this list came out, needless to say, there was a bit of blowback from the parents. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think this principal was within her, her right? Does this make sense to you, saying, look, it, it's the holidays, it's Christmas time, we might have some children that do not celebrate Christmas, so we don't want anybody to feel left out, so no references to Santa, no Christmas trees, no singing Christmas carols, no playing Christmas music, no candy canes because they are Christmas-related, no making Christmas ornaments as a gift, nothing like this because some people might feel that they are not included. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me just give you my take quick. I think this is absolutely nuts. I mean, it just it is amazing to me that in this country, in 2018, we have gotten this far where somebody who presumably has an education degree, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming... I am assuming that you are not hiring principals um, right off the street or that you find living under a viaduct or somewhere like that, uh, but that you would hire somebody who would take this position. And candidly, I mean, look, I understand why you might want to not have, like, lengthy discussions of, of the biblical significance of, of Christmas in, in the context of a classroom. But really, no Santas, no trees, no elf on the shelf, no candy canes, no red or green. Have we gone completely and totally through the looking glass? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ again. We're at Albrecht Century, Highway 83 and I-94 in Delafield, part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. Speaking of Christmas, this is, I swear, I do not make these stories up. You have an elementary school principal who sent out a memo banning things like Santa, Christmas trees in the classrooms, no Christmas music, no making a Christmas ornament as a gift, no candy canes. I, I will... Look, I'm not a huge fan of candy canes, but I guess I do. I appreciate that there's something that you see at the holidays. Yeah, I, I get it, but I, I've never, never, ever, ever in my life thought of a candy cane as being a, a overly religious type of symbol. But that's apparently, you know, what this woman sees it. How could this be crazy? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with uh, Judy in Concord. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hey, I was uh, listening carefully to that prohibited list, and I didn't happen to notice um, the word menorah. Is this only an attack on Christmas if it's supposed to be a neutral winter seasonal celebration? Then why well, weren't other? Well, you know, that's an interesting point you raise, because on the acceptable list, 
it's okay to uh, do things that celebrate holidays around the world. And I would presume that to include Hanukkah. I would presume it to include, you know, an, a number of, of other holidays that are celebrated at this time. But, yeah, it, it's this is pretty much specifically t- themed Christmas. No candy canes, for goodness sakes. I mean, who says no candy canes in a classroom? Hey, I read something one time. Um, it came in a box of candy canes. It was the legend of the candy cane and it had to do the shape had to do with the shepherd's staff this is the first time i've heard it called a j yeah i that thanks a lot for the call i I appreciate you that that was it for me as well i mean this is this is what her memo said about candy canes it's christmas related well okay that that's i I get it yeah i mean it they have candy canes all year round but yes it's christmas related i'll accept that historically this is what she wrote the shape is a j for jesus the red is for the blood of christ and the white is a symbol of resurrection but this would also include different colored candy canes as well oh for goodness sake um, Brian in Iowa. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Brian. Hey, um, I am an elementary school principal, and uh, this is absolutely ridiculous. We celebrate, uh, I think virtually every one of our classrooms has a Christmas tree. We have a holiday show. We sing all the Christmas-related songs. I will also say we celebrate songs um, regarding other faiths, too. We have Christians, Muslims, Jewish kids in our building, um, zero blowback because we embrace all, and it is meant as a celebration of joy, and it, 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 this right. is out of control. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, okay, she's banning making Christmas ornaments because there might be some kids that don't have a, a Christmas tree. Well, I mean, all right, in, in that case, can't they just be ornaments that you know you? Let's say you, you have the child that, that's Jewish. Um, you know, can't you just you, you make the ornament, you bring it home, and you give it to your mother or father? I, I mean, I just I don't understand this obsession with saying we, we, we can't we can't recognize the existence of Christmas. That's you're, you're absolutely right, Jeff. This has nothing to do with political correctness, even. This, this is is somebody who has gone way off the deep end. I think you referred to uh, gone through the, uh, the looking glass through the looking yeah. glass. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've been in this business 30-plus years. I've never met one kid, regardless of faith, who didn't want to celebrate something, whether it is whatever your holiday is, Hanukkah, Christmas, right. whatever. And making an, an ornament is, is a celebration. It's fun. It's positive. They still do, we still do the red and green, green paper chains that you probably did and I did when I was a kid. Sure. It, it's all in good fun. The kids are not the issue. It is the adults, and sometimes it is we, the adult educators, who are the problem, unfortunately. Brian, thanks for the call, and I appreciate the perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you, you just wonder, who, who thinks about a memo like this? Because obviously there was a lot of thought that this particular principal put into sending out the, this the, this memo. I mean, th- this goes back, and if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I, I carry on this way about Christmas carols every year. I mean, when, when you have the, we, we can't, in many places, you can't have Christmas concerts anymore. You have to have holiday concerts. And then if you have the holiday concert, you can't have any religious-themed songs. And that has always just driven me absolutely crazy. I mean, you're, this is from my perspective of, of for example, I, I, I think Silent Night is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And I understand that for some people, Silent Night has incredible religious significance. But even for people who, who don't, can't you appreciate it as, as a beautiful song? 
I mean, that, that's the whole point. And, and I think, see, most people are like that. For, for the kids, for example, in this elementary school who do not celebrate Christmas, my guess is that they at least are aware that there are other people out there that are celebrating Christmas. It's not going to be in that classroom, for example, the first time they, they see, you know, a, a reference to Santa Claus or the first time they see a candy cane. I still can't get over the candy cane thing. The, the candy cane or, you know, the Christmas tree. You, you see that all around the world. How can you bubble wrap these children and protect them? Rob in Hartford. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey there. Um, I was just thinking, like, well, then why are they even taking days off for this? I mean, well, just <laughs> go back to work. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's right. Okay, we're, you're you're not going to get a Christmas break here. You know, we just expect you to be in over those, those two weeks when everybody else is out of school. So offended. Let's just. Put everybody back to work, and we'll see how, how many people start whining then. So. Um, thanks for the call, Rob. Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> so here, here's the interesting fallout of this. Like I say, after she sent out this memo, as you might expect, all heck breaks loose. You know, she sends this home. Uh, apparently, it was sent home with the parents, to the, with the kids to the parents, and to other teachers. And this quickly got publicized. And needless to say... This was an example where you had a number of the parents that contacted the school board and the school administrators and said, you know, what what's going on? Who have you hired to be in charge of this? And after, well, my guess is after about the 10th or the 12th angry call, the, the school administration has stepped in, and at least as of today, they, they have apparently addressed the issue with, uh, with the principal. They say that this memo does not reflect the policy of the Elkhorn Public Schools regarding holiday symbols. And apparently this was a a principal who decided to act out on her own. They also say that Principal Sinclair has been placed on administrative leave for the moment. And then they say, because it's an ongoing personnel issue, we cannot comment further. So at least temporarily... You know, the the Grinch who wanted to steal Christmas, the principal who decided, here, what we're going to do over December is we're going to take a lump of coal and we're going to put it on every student's desk. That principal now on administrative leave. If, If the world is sane, she will never, ever, ever be back anywhere near young kids. We'll see. It's 12.52. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're broadcasting live from outside Albrecht Century. It's Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. 12.52. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 12.54. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Major League Baseball has lately discussed making rules to limit the use of defensive shifts. Is this an extreme reaction? Matt Paul is in for Greg Matzik. He debates the pros and cons of it tonight on Sports Central at 7.35. Interestingly, one of the reasons Major League Baseball is considering doing that is because they want to make sure it doesn't delay the game with the shifting back and forth. Games, I've always argued, are way too long. I think in the 2 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about Vince McMahon and his rival football league. He wants to resurrect the XFL, and one of the things he's arguing is that NFL games are too long. He wants to do them shorter. We'll probably talk about that um, in the 2 o'clock hour. Coming up in about 10 minutes, I, I find... I find this topic to be incredibly ironic. The big controversy, now it's a nationwide controversy, is what Republicans did in Madison over the course of the last couple days, the lame duck session that passed a series of bills. They are now on Governor Walker's desk. He's going to have to make the decision to sign them or not. 
a number of commentators, including a lot of people who have wished Scott Walker nothing but ill since he was elected eight years ago. Now they're saying, well, Governor, you should really veto these things to protect your legacy. Now, of course, these are people who could care less about Scott Walker and his legacy. We're going to talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes. Before that, though, I want to double back on something I mentioned yesterday, and it actually... The, the whole concept finds its way into the front page of the New York Times. And I read the New York Times, so you don't have to. One of the interesting things, and you might recall last week there were all these stories, first of all, about climate change and the global warming and these reports that were out there saying if we don't get a handle on the greenhouse gases and things like that, our gross domestic product is going to drop 10% by the end of this century. And, of course, it doesn't point out that that's, it's already expected to grow like hundreds of percent, and so that's still, okay, a reduced growth. But it, it was one of these sort of hysterical reports. Now, I am not a climate change denier. I, I'm not. But I think you have to be realistic about this. The reason that you have, I think, increased greenhouse gases is because you have large countries where there are enormous numbers of people who are becoming more industrialized. China, India, who are looking for cheap power, and they're turning to coal. So it only makes sense to me that, again, if you're having these this, these countries that are developing, they're turning to the cheap power, you know, and so they're using coal, I believe that there probably is a stress on the environment. But where I kind of draw the line is, all right, if that's the big cause, all right, Go ahead, fine, drive your Prius. I think that's great. But, you know, given what India is doing, given what China is doing, you know, you driving your Prius is like taking a teaspoon and trying to empty the Pacific Ocean. It, it just doesn't work. But, but nevertheless, we try to do these different things. So in France, what they try to do is they try to discourage people from driving. And their approach to discouraging people from driving was to increase the tax on gasoline and on diesel fuel. That, that's, that's it. And the idea was, we'll increase the tax, we'll make it expensive, and so then people won't drive their cars. Well, have you seen all the riots that have been going on in Paris over the course of the last 10 days? That's, that's because of the fuel tax. And the reason they put in the fuel tax was because of so-called climate change. There is a fascinating story in the New York Times today. It quotes this guy who describes himself as a militant environmentalist, a militant environmentalist, but yet he was protesting with these yellow vests out there because he said, well, I'm a militant environmentalist, but, you know, I got to drive 35 miles each way to catch the train to take me to my job. And, you know, if we do this, I'm going to have to pay more. So I, I just put this in perspective for everybody who talks about, well, we've got climate change. All right. My, my question is, what are you willing to do? You know, are you willing to pay 50 cents more? a gallon of gas, a dollar a gallon of gas, and will that make really any difference as long as you still have places like China and India that are putting up the big coal-fired power plants? I'm not saying we shouldn't all do our own thing, but at some point in time, I mean, again, you need some degree of perspective. And interestingly, even militant environmentalists, well, when they were going to have to pay more for gas, they weren't happy. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're on the road broadcasting live from outside Albrecht Century. We're in the 620 WTMJ mobile studio. I call it the Big Talking Box, Highway 83 and I-94 in Delafield, part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, which winds up a week from tomorrow. Big event at Capco in Grafton. All right. This is, oh, by the way, before I get into that, before I get into what I want to talk about at the beginning, what, what a big sports weekend you have coming up in Wisconsin tonight. You've got the Bucks playing the Golden State Warriors, and of course the Bucks beat Golden State in Golden State in Oakland a little while back, so you know that they're going to be out for a little bit of revenge. This is going to be one of those things to tell you whether or not the Bucks are for real. Now, I happen to think that they are, but big game tonight, and then tomorrow for... A lot of us, you know, it's it's for bragging rights. You've got uh, University of Wisconsin Badgers coming to Pfizer Forum to play my Marquette Warriors or Golden Eagles or whatever they want to call them. Four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. It's always I was explaining. I was telling this to somebody today. It's always one of the most enjoyable games to go to every two years because Pfizer Forum is going to be packed tomorrow, and you're going to have lots of Marquette fans, and you're going to have lots of Wisconsin fans, and you're going to have lots of excitement. It's just it's everything that I like about college basketball, and it's going to be occurring 4 o'clock tomorrow. People are saying, you know, you're going to make predictions. Nah, I don't, I don't really have a sense of that yet, but I know it's going, to be, it's going to be a fun game, and I'm looking forward to being there as part of the, just the, the atmosphere. It's everything that college basketball is supposed to be. And then, of course, Sunday you've got the, the start of the Joe Philbin era. In Green Bay, Joe Philbin may be, uh, you know, only four games as head coach of the Packers. Who knows? You know, maybe he is auditioning for, maybe Mark Murphy was telling the truth, and he really is auditioning for the full-time job. But regardless, lots of big sporting events going on here over the weekend. All right. Now, here... Here is the story, and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to tell you to tell it to you, and then we're going to open up the phone lines, and I'm going to try to keep my blood pressure from going down, uh, from going up too high as I discuss this. All right, there was a story the other day out out in in Madison. Let me let me share this story with you. It, it says that um, all right, a, a stolen SUV driven by a 16-year-old boy crashed into a partially built home in Madison, leaving two 14-year-old passengers with serious injuries. The incident started about 11.30 p.m. in a particular neighborhood. What happened was officer sees a stolen car, tries to make a stop, a traffic stop. As always happens, the, the, the driver speeds off. Driver unable to maintain control of the SUV as it approaches a curve, subsequently drives across a private lawn before striking an unoccupied residence. So you have people in the car, they try to flee, they lose control, they go across a lawn, they hit into this residence. Now, the story behind this is apparently this house was under construction. It was being built by the city for a disabled 50-year-old woman. So now you have you know, the whole background of this, you've got the, the house that's that's destroyed. So the lady who was looking forward to being able to move in there, well, you know, her plans have been, you know, pretty much, you know, put on hold at best. All right. So here's the dazzling detail about this story. Like I say, it was three people that were driving this stolen car that tried to flee from the cops. According to the authorities, three teens involved in the stolen car had a combined 29 earlier arrests 
in various cities around the Madison area for various crimes, including operating a vehicle without the owner's consent and burglary. All right, there's three people, 16-year-old kid and two 14-year-old kids. The 14-year-old male passenger involved in the crash had been arrested by the Madison Police Department 15 times in the past for offenses including operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent, burglary, and entering into a locked car. All right, you did not hear me wrong. I did not misspeak. The 14-year-old passenger, the boy that was in this stolen car, 14 years old, had been arrested by the Madison police 15 times in the past. All right, there was a female passenger who was 14. Over the past six months, the female passenger who is 14, had been arrested six times, six times, five for operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent and once for retail theft. Again, you did not hear me misspeak. The 15-year-old or 14-year-old girl that was in this car had been arrested over the last six months six times, five times for operating a stolen car and, and once for retail theft. The 16-year-old driver of the car, this is the one who fled from the cops, lost control, and smashed into the house. He had been arrested three times uh, by the Madison police, twice for trespass, once for for curfew violation. Um, All total, the three had also been arrested five previous times in Fitchburg and multiple times in the past for involvement with stolen cars. In other words, these three are a three-person crime wave. And they are back out on the streets doing this over and over again. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand that we have this sort of Norman Rockwell image of, of young people, and we don't want to punish people, and we want to reform people and all. And by the way, because juvenile records are sealed, I can't tell you, I don't know, the public doesn't know what they did to any of these punks as they were going through the juvenile justice system over and over and over again. I do know, though, that you know when you have a 14-year-old who's been arrested 15 times in the last couple years for offenses including operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent, and you have a 14-year-old girl who's been arrested six times in the past six months, five times for, again, driving a stolen car, I do know that these, these people should not be out on the streets. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is another one of these examples of how the juvenile justice system is an absolute joke. And I understand wanting to rehabilitate people. And I understand wanting to give people a second chance. But, you know, did we miss the boat here? And should these punks have been in some sort of confined facility before having a chance to go out and steal another car? How many cars do we want to let them steal before we recognize that what we're doing isn't working? Your thoughts. 414-799-1620. Back with more in just a minute. It's 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from outside Albrecht Century, Highway 83 and I-94, part of Kids to Kids Christmas. This... I mean, I, I understand we talk a lot about how the juvenile justice system is, is really just a joke with this revolving door. But, I mean, th- this this story just hit home. You've got these three kids, one 16, two 14 years old. They're, they're driving a stolen car the other night in Madison. Cops try to pull them over. They flee, end up smashing into th- this house. There, a couple of the kids are injured. The driver tries to run away. But th- this criminal record, the, the girl, she's 14, arrested six times in the last six months, five for operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent. That's stolen cars. There's a 14-year-old. Over the last two years, he has been arrested 15 times. 15 times for offenses including operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent, burglary, and entry into a locked car. This, these are, this is a three-person crime wave, and they're allowed to be out on the street. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chris in Muskego. Chris, hello. Hi. How are you, Jeff? I'm wondering. I am well. What do you th- I'm wondering why we are letting two 14-year-olds and a 16-year-old become criminals, career criminals, before they're even of legal age to vote. Well, I think it's because we want to be kind and gentle, and we don't want to be judgmental, and we don't want to have too many consequences that are too harsh. So we apparently do nothing to them. I think we need to end the PC world in some forms and really charge them as the adults they act like. Well, if right, see, and I, 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 mean, I like what you're alluding to, Chris, because we're not doing these kids any favors. I mean, if look, it's the same thing. If you have somebody who misbehaves and misbehaves and misbehaves, and there's no consequences at all, they're going to continue to do it. And this is the classic example of it. And at some point in time, it just becomes it just becomes your your life that you're out there stealing cars. And, of course, the other issue, I don't know about you, Chris, but you know, we ask sometimes rhetorically, where are the parents? I mean, <laughs> who lets a kid go out to continue stealing cars like this? All right. Well, when I first talked to the radio station, I said, lock them up. If that's my kids and I can't control them, lock them up. Let the, let the state have them. If I can't I, control my own children, I would hope that somebody would tell me, here's your bill. Um, I, I agree. Thanks for the call, Chris. I appreciate you joining us. See, I mean, it, it's and plus at some point in time. Look, I'm, I'm all, I'm all about. You know, we we want to try to. You know, you got a 14-year-old, you know, who presumably, you know, he or she, they're, they're going to, I don't know, live 50, 60, 70 years. You know, who, who knows what the life expectancy is? And you'd love to figure out a way to encourage them to be productive adults. I, I understand all that. But at the same time, you, you also have to protect the rest of us. And that's one of the things that I think the juvenile justice system has gotten completely backward moving forward, that we're, we're not... We're, we're not thinking about the victims. We're not thinking about the people whose cars have been stolen. Anybody who's been a victim of car theft, for example, you, you know that that is not a victimless crime. You know what a hassle that is in your life. And at some point in time, don't we have to be protected by from the, these criminals who are out there committing these crimes? And at some point in time, I don't know, 14-year-old who's been arrested 15 times for offenses, including operating a motor vehicle, at some point in time, I think maybe we should start to figure out that something needs to be done to this kid. Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Merry Christmas to you. Hi, Paul. Merry Christmas to you as well, sir. Chris 
had a point, and I just want to emphasize on that. Everyone's allowed a mistake. At least we should be allowed one mistake. And these juveniles, we need to change the juvenile justice system. You're allowed your mistake. Right. After that one mistake, you no matter what, if you are back in front of a judge, you are charged as an adult. If that judge decides to go against that, and this person does it again, the judge has to be held accountable for his decision to let these children. 14 years old, that is lifetime criminal. I can see that right now, unless we would have stopped it after his first offense. Right. Yeah, we, you, you talk about one mistake or one error in judgment. That's right. I mean, the, the, the girl, five arrests for stealing cars in a six-month period. At some point in time, it doesn't become a mistake. It becomes a way of life that she's leading. Yep, me and you are approximately the same age. I went to a parochial grade school. <laughs> you didn't look <laughs> You know what I'm saying. You didn't look at someone wrong, and, and Chris was right. The PC world, there has to be... A punishment for if you do the crime, you got to do the time and take the punishment. I, I agree with you. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. But let me tell you where the problem starts, and this is. It, it starts, I mean, the, the, the point that you made was, okay, the judges need to be held accountable. If the judges aren't imposing these sentences, then, then we need to know. Here is the fundamental problem, and it starts with the major flaw in the juvenile justice system. All of this stuff is done in secret. I can't tell you what happened to the 14-year-old who's been arrested 15 times in the last year and a half because I don't know, because nobody knows, because juvenile records are sealed. Juvenile records are not public because we don't want, I don't know, to create a stigma. Well, to heck with that. To heck with that. I, I think there needs to be a stigma that's out there. First of all, I think people in whatever neighborhood these kids live in deserve to know, to the extent that they don't, that you've got dangerous predators that are out there, and, and you better watch it because anything that you leave unattended for a couple seconds, they may in fact steal. But we protect these kids, and we don't just protect the kids. We protect the judges. I can't tell you what judge made these ridiculous, boneheaded decisions to continue to allow these kids to be out on the street continuing to steal cars. I don't know because nobody knows. The first thing you need to do, I think, if you want to reform the juvenile justice system, is you need to say it's all public. It's all public or at least anything after the first offense is going to be public. We are not going to shield the public from knowing what the judges do, and we're not going to shield the general public from knowing the dangerous juveniles that are among us. This idea that, well, these are all sweet children and we don't want to ruin their lives. To heck with that. These are dangerous thieves, and you know they're clearly well on the way to being career criminals, and there's no reason at all that we shouldn't be able to figure out all right, what happened when they were brought in front of the system? Who was it that put them on double-secret probation or sent them back to whatever lousy environment they came out of so they go out and steal again? You know, it's important to have accountability, and the juvenile justice system, as we currently know it, has none. And as long as that's the case, well, you're going to have situations like this. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back in just a couple minutes, I want to talk about the Walker legacy and what some people are suggesting that he should do to cement that legacy. Stick around. It's 127. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
It's 135. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 77 years since one of the worst attacks on American soil. Many Wisconsinites were stationed in Hawaii when Pearl Harbor was attacked. You can hear their story 520 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. There's a story I want to discuss, and I, 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 there, there is a touch of irony to, to this story. Since Scott Walker was elected governor in the 2010 elections, there have been a large number of people who have been, well, I think it would be fair to say, rooting against him at every step, whether it was the people pushing for the recall in 2011 and 2012, the people trying to beat him in 2014, and then, you know, ultimately, you know, losing a very, very close election in 2018. There are people who have, needless to say, not bought into the Walker agenda and not been supportive of pretty much anything the governor has done. It is interesting to me, then, to see that a number of those people are now out in the last day or so, and they have somehow become concerned about the legacy of Scott Walker. They're saying, well, Governor, look at what happened in the legislature this week. And let's review the bidding for just a second. I think, as everybody knows, that the legislature, special session of the legislature, lame duck session, meaning that while the Republicans are going to continue to have overwhelming control of both the state assembly and the state senate, uh, there is going to be a change in the governor. Tony Evers is, is coming on. And you have a number of legislators who pushed through various pieces of legislation that were passed, which would, in various ways, limit the authority of the incoming governor and the incoming attorney general. So those were passed on largely party-line votes, and now those various bills go to Governor Walker, and he has the opportunity to decide whether to sign them or to veto them or to sign some and veto others, etc. So it's really going to be Governor Walker's last legislative act as far as approving legislation. And, of course, this whole lame duck session has been controversial. So it is interesting today that a lot of people who, again, have not been very fond of Governor Walker. Now they are suddenly concerned with his legacy. And I'm, I'm reading one story after another, people saying, well, we, we have to, you know, Governor Walker, you just have to go down, you have to think about, you know, how you're going to be remembered for posterity. And, you know, uh, do you, know, you want to end up with all this controversy and things like this, et cetera, et cetera. So their advice to Governor Walker, because, you know, we, we're, we're concerned suddenly about your legacy, you know, we think that what you should do is we think you should veto those bills. Okay, my my recommendation to Governor Walker would be I wouldn't be listening to any of those folks. You know, those folks didn't support you at all, and they could care less about what your legacy is. That being said, there is a larger issue that is out there. And I know that you may disagree with me on this, and it's a point I've been making for the last week. I think elections have consequences. I have argued this since I have been on the radio. I believe that elections have consequences. And I think that when you are dealing with lame duck sessions where there is about to be a change in power, I think that you should be very, very cautious in trying to make major changes. And I've tried to be consistent with this, as we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. In 2010, when Jim Doyle was the governor and Democrats controlled the state legislature, what they tried to do in a lame duck session was sign a bunch of contracts with various government employee unions. These contracts would have hamstrung 
incoming the, the incoming Walker administration. They would have stopped him from being able to implement certain things for, in some cases, several years. Governor Walker, in, at the time when he was Governor Walker-elect, he argued the legislature shouldn't do this. I remember doing radio shows back then, screaming about the same thing. This is wrong. You know, you shouldn't hamstring a, a future governor. There's going to be a change of power, etc., etc. You should let, you know, things just take their course. And ultimately, that effort to try to sign the long-term contracts, it, it blew up. It was unsuccessful because one state senator, Russ Decker, refused to vote for it, and Democrats were outraged. They called him a traitor, etc., etc. But, but it didn't happen. But it's not because Jim Doyle didn't want it to happen. It wasn't because the Democratic majorities didn't want it to happen. It was because they didn't have enough votes to get it through when they had one or two defections. So it shouldn't have happened, and I think this was an abuse of power. That's why I think a lot of the angst that you hear, a lot of the hand-wringing Democrats saying, oh, this is just so terrible, etc., etc., I mean, it is it is very hypocritical because they tried to do the same thing eight years ago. It's one of the things that you see in politics. But even acknowledging all that, it still doesn't make it good policy. So now we are at the end game. There's really probably no consequences for Scott Walker one way or the other. These bills, and I don't disagree with some of the stuff that's in these various bills that were passed. My point, though, is if you were concerned that the governor had too much power, you could have done something last April, or you could have done something a year ago, April. You had all sorts of opportunities to pass this, and now you wait till essentially there's been a change in the governorship. You know what? I don't think it's because of his legacy. People don't. I don't think he has to be worried about that. His legacy is what his legacy is. I think, though, as a matter of policy, what the Republicans in the state legislature did, I, I think it's bad the way they went about it. I don't think it makes this state look good, and I don't think it makes legislators in general look good. And you know what? You know what? I think Governor Walker should, in large measure, and I don't expect he's going to do it, but I think, I think he should veto a lot of this. Just to simply say, you know what? I agree with these different things, but we should have done it earlier. And as a result, I'm not going to go down this route. I don't approve of the lame duck session doing this. This is a matter for my successor. Tony Evers wants to take this up. He can take it up. But I am not going to limit him, just like I would have not wanted to be limited by Jim Doyle and the Democrats in the Assembly and the Senate back in 2010. You know what? As much as it pains me, I find myself agreeing with some of the critics. I think Scott Walker should veto this legislation, the stuff that came out of the special session. Let's tee it up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And again, I, I think... I think some of these some of these bills make sense. I think others don't necessarily. I think they're unnecessarily confrontational. But the big picture is the way the process, the way we went about the process, it bothers me. I think it's wrong. And I think maybe this is an opportunity to sit, make a stand and say, look, we're not going to go down this route. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It's not for Governor Walker's legacy. 
and the people that are saying, well, protect your legacy, they don't care about that. But just as a matter of process, I don't think we did it the right way. We're going to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, we're on a remote location. It's Kids to Kids Christmas. We're at Albrecht Century, Highway 83 and I-94 in Delafield. It's 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from Kids to Kids Christmas, Albrecht Century, Highway 83, and I-94 in Delafield. All right, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with some of the things that the legislature did over the last few days, but I think the way they went about it was wrong. I think Governor Walker should veto the stuff that came out of this extraordinary session, the lame duck session, and then, again, allow the legislature to come back in January when you've got the new governor. I just think it's wrong to hamstring the new governor. And, look, I'm not thrilled that Tony Evers won. I, I, I think the Evers years are going to go down as a disaster for the state of Wisconsin. I hope I'm wrong, and I'm going to support the Republican legislature and a lot of things I'm sure that they try to do. But I, I think trying to take power away from the attorney general, the incoming attorney general, and the incoming governor under these circumstances I just think it's wrong. Robert in Oconomowoc. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Well, the monumental difference between 2010 and now is in 2010, the Democrats were losing the governor and losing both uh, sides of the the legislature, so they were on their way out and the Republicans were on their way in. In In this instance, the Republicans not only maintained control of both parts of the legislature, but actually improved their margin. And so they yeah, but are the governors the on the way people. out. They were elected statewide. Unfortunately, the two counties in in Milwaukee and Madison override the the will of the other seventy counties. Well, in the you, state. But, but see, Robert, you can't go down that route. That's like people. That's like people. No, see, Robert, you can't go down that route. That's like people arguing that President Trump isn't legitimate because he lost the popular vote. I mean, the the, the, the you, you the know you're right. Republicans. The legislature makes bills, not the governor, and the legislature's job is to create bills and, and legislation. And they are the current majority, and they are the continuing majority. So what was so. So to call it some kind of extraordinary lame duck session, frankly, what is, is a, a lame duck session? You well, know? no, no, no. They're trying. No, look, they, look, they look, Robert. Robert, no, no, Robert. Let Robert. Let's be honest. Robert. After the governor comes in, Ro- they're not lame ducks. Well, Robert, no, yes, they're going to be in control, but they know that Tony Evers isn't going to sign any of these bills. So that's why they're trying to do it before the governorship changes. I mean, that's what this is all about. Your own admission, you just said he's going to send the state backwards and all the improvements we had backwards. Why would we allow that just on some, uh, you know, will of, oh, so we look good? Isn't the job of the legislature to to take care of the people and do the people's business all year round and, and, well, the, with and the leg- make sure the state moves forward and not moving backwards? Okay, well, you, you look, look. I think the voters got it wrong in November. You obviously think the in, voters in got it wrong respect, in November, too. In what too. respect did we, they get it wrong? They, the, in, we electing have, Tony we, Ever, in electing Tony Evers over Scott Walker. Oh, yeah, that they did. But they, yeah. we still have the, the Republicans still are the, in control of both houses of the legislature, and that's where policy is made, and the, they should do everything they can to continue the prosperity of the state and not allow us to, to go backwards and, and undo all the things that have been absolutely tremendous 
improvements for the state of Wisconsin. So, so what you think what you think should happen is now that we we know the results of the election, you think it's perfectly legitimate and appropriate to try to do everything they can in an effort to protect the last eight years by taking power away from. The, the people, the the, peop, the the governorship, after the people of Wisconsin have elected Tony Evers, the people of the state elected the legislators to do legislation, and you're gonna. So you want to elect, you want to let one person in the form of the governor, or one person in the form of the uh, uh, district attorney, to undo all the legislation that we've put in just because they don't like it. So the will of the people elected the legislature, which which put all this stuff in place, but you want to let one person undo it in the court. No, no, Robert. Robert, thanks. I'm sorry. I've got to take a quick break for traffic. But but, but no, that's not what I want to do. I appreciate a system of checks and balances. The legislature is still going to be the legislature. Tony Evers isn't going to be able to do various things without the approval of the, the legislature. What I don't think is right is where you decide to change the rules. We want this to be a certain rule for Governor Walker, our guy. But now that our guy is out, we want to take away power from the person that is coming in. That's what I think is an abuse of the process. And I think it, it's all, it almost always backfires. And let us be consistent. If the situation were reversed, and this was a governor four years from now, if it's a governor, Tony Evers, and it's a legislature, controlled by the Senate, the Democrats control the Senate and the Assembly. Let us be honest. And if there's a Republican governor, whether it's a Governor Clayfish or a Governor Voss or a Governor Wagner or whatever, Governor-elect that's coming in, and the Democrats were trying to do something like this, take away powers from that office, we know that all of us on the right would be screaming bloody murder. I'm just saying you have to be consistent. Um, let's go. We've got a, a mess apparently somewhere on the roadways. WTMJ Time Saver ele- traffic alert. Here's Rusty Mulberg. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Rusty Melberg. This is a WTMJ PellaWI.com time saver traffic alert. There has been a rollover accident on 94 westbound, and this is west of the County Road SS off-ramps, and it is blocking all westbound lanes of traffic and is also impacting eastbound traffic. But again, it is the westbound lanes by the off-ramps to County Road SS, where the uh, traffic on I-94 has been shut down for the moment. Please find an alternate route. Again, more details and interactive traffic maps right now at WTMJ.com and then on the WTMJ mobile app. WTMJ News Time, 152. It's 155. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, we will continue to keep you updated on, on this, this traffic mess. Apparently, the, the freeway westbound is, is closed um, from our view, and we're out here in Delafield as part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. We're, we're off of Highway 83, and the traffic moving eastbound is crawling along. I assume that's a gaper's block or something, but we'll continue to keep you updated about this because, like I say, Friday afternoons, Friday afternoons and traffic problems seem to go hand-to-hand, but keep it tuned here. We'll continue to keep you updated about this. I mean, just just to kind of double back, I, I think the way I always try to evaluate stuff in politics is, all right, if the other side were doing this, how would you feel? And I'm the one that argues constantly that elections have consequences. All right, I was the one that during the Act 10 debate, and I guess, you know, other hosts as well. You know, we, we were all outraged that you had 
all these protests. Oh, here, we're going to storm the Capitol, and we're going to fight Act 10. And then the, the absolutely abysmal and childish decision by the Democrats in the state Senate to flee in order to try to, you know, avoid a vote. I mean, the bottom line is elections have consequences. And I think the incoming Walker administration and the Republican majorities in the Assembly and the state Senate, I think they have every right to do what they did. And if the voters wanted to vote them out, well, the voters could vote them out. Well, we saw how that all played out. But fleeing the state, I thought, was incredibly petty and childish. Well, all right, here is now the the flip side. Elections have consequences. By a relatively small margin, but a margin nonetheless, the voters of the state of Wisconsin, led largely by voters in Milwaukee and Madison, have decided that they want Tony Evers to be the governor. Okay, that's fine. I think as a matter of process and a matter of policy, the legislature has every right to disagree with initiatives that Evers is going to come out with, to make their own modifications, to override vetoes, to do whatever it is that that they choose to do. But during this lame duck session, to come in and say, we're going to kind of change the rules. We are going to take away powers from the attorney general and the governor based simply on the fact that, well, we don't like who that is going to be. That, I think, is where they look petty, and I think it's something that, again, is bad policy. And, again, four years from now, I I, want to be, if I'm continuing to do this job then, I want to be able to say if you've got a Democratic governor who's leaving and you've got Democrats in the legislature who are trying to do things to strip power away from an incoming Republican governor, I want to be able to criticize that. And I think you have to be consistent. The other thing is if you look at some of the stuff that they're doing, I don't know how significant that it really is, and I don't know how necessary it is. For example, the the change in in voting, to limit it to two weeks beforehand. The, The law right now limits it to two weeks beforehand. The only difference is one includes Saturday, one doesn't. That's that the whole thing is in front of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. They're ultimately, or the Supreme Court is ultimately going to decide whether that's good law or not. To come in and to try to change early voting at this point in time makes it look like it is a response to the fact that you lost the governorship because of a heavy turnout in Milwaukee and Madison. Bottom line of this is, bottom line is, I think the governor... I think he should, just as a matter of policy and good government, I think he should veto some of these things that came out of the legislature this week, and we start over again in January. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 210, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the 620 WTMJ mobile studio. We are in Delafield, Kids to Kids Christmas, outside Albrecht Century, Highway 83 and I-94. We will continue to keep you updated about what's going on on the roadways. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Of course, as you're hearing, there is kind of in the area of Highway SS, which is to the east of where I am right now. Apparently, the whole westbound lanes of the freeway are closed down because of a rollover accident. It's really strange because I, I have a view of the freeway from my location, and there's like no cars moving east or uh, no, almost no cars moving east, and there's... Uh, what I assume is a gaper's block. Uh, for car- Cars that are moving east are tied up in a gaper's block, and there's nobody moving west. Um, sort of interesting. I, I just This is why you want to be listening for the next 50 minutes. It's the interesting thing about live radio, because our Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew, Melissa Barkley and Scott Warris, they're, they're supposed to be out here as well. And I'm thinking, huh, how would you get out here? Well, typically, you would be on the freeway. Hope they're not caught in this. If not... 
hey, I get to fulfill a lifetime dream of hosting Wisconsin's Afternoon News, I assume. All right, we've got a lot of ground to cover over the course of the next 50 minutes. Coming up in about 25 minutes, we do the same thing on Fridays every week. We do Pop Culture Corner. It will be fun this week, generated by something interesting that was in the news. All right, the holiday season is upon us. Hanukkah, of course, and then Christmas. And one of the things that's going on right now is people are wrestling with the whole idea of what do I do for Christmas gifts. There was an interesting story today in uh, USA Today talking about gifts that you should stop buying people. And it's kind of interesting. Some of them are things that you see on TV, handbags and clothing a person did not put on a list of things they want. Don't buy something expensive just because it's expensive. Uh, Don't buy scented things uh, in scents that you don't know that the person likes. All those seemed like pretty good advice to me. Uh, Don't buy stuff that is funny but not at all useful. I kind of get that. Don't give re-gifts, different things. But one of the ones that I think is particularly interesting opens up a debate that I go through almost every year. The recommendation is... Don't give gift cards to stores that you're not 100% certain the person goes to. I would, I would carry that one step further, and this is sort of an annual issue that comes up, and that is the whole notion of gift cards. I understand that there's a huge market in gift cards. I understand that there is degree, you know, you give a gift card to a particular store or something like that, and it's viewed as kind of a thoughtful gift. And when somebody gives me a gift card, I say thank you and, and I appreciate it. But, you know, I will tell you what happens a lot of times. Matter of fact, I was looking through this drawer I had just the other day. I've got a couple unused gift cards from years ago because I put them away and I don't end up using them. I forget about them. Or it's one of these gift cards that I say, okay, I'm going to use this as I'm going through the fast fruit food line. And inevitably, I use it and then I, I lose track of how much money is on it. I can't tell you how many just personally, how many gift cards that I've gotten that I've never used, just never used. Plus, there is an expense to gift cards in some cases, and candidly, I have been arguing for years that if you are going to give a gift that's designed to allow somebody to go out and buy what they want, I have argued that cash is king. And, And that's one of the things that I do. I don't give gift cards. I will give cash. Now, some people might think that that's insensitive or it's not thoughtful, whatever. I don't know. I don't know that that's any more insensitive or non-thoughtful than, you know, if, if I were to go to, for example, you know, a local bank and, and get, a, you know, a $50 or $100 gift card. I, I give cash. And the reason I figure that that's fine is, look, if I, I don't know what the person wants. I don't know what the person has. I want them to have something, and I want them to have the most flexibility and freedom possible to go buy something that they want. So I, I give cash. I, I don't give gift cards. Now, some people might think that, oh, that's this terrible thing, and there's no thought that goes into it. No, there, there's thought that goes into it. And I guess I don't see any difference between cash and gift cards other than the fact that it's easier to spend cash than it is to use gift cards. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This debate, again, it, it comes up every year. Is there something wrong with giving cash? 
And again, I, I understand that the, the spirit of, of the holidays, if somebody gives you a gift, that's great. They've, they've given you a gift, and, and you take it. But, you know, all things being equal, would you rather have cash or would you rather have a gift card? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And the truth of the matter is, all things being equal, I would rather have cash. And as a result of that, I give cash instead of giving the gift cards. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do you come down on this debate? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, it's one of the things that occurs every Christmas. And look, and I, I'm not trying to be ungrateful. People want to give me gifts. I, I love it. But I will tell you, um, a lot of times when they give me gift cards, those gift cards go unused, or at least portions of them go unused. That's one of the reasons when I give gifts, I, I give cash. You know, you put $50, you put $100, you put a $20 bill in the card or whatever. I don't think that's particularly insensitive. I think it just makes it easier for the person that you're giving that to 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 go out and spend. So is this insensitive? Is this rude? 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Milwaukee. John, you're first. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I think that giving cash between adults is a little on the insensitive side. The fact that the recipient often thinks that um, the the person giving that cash didn't have taken enough time to, to put any thought into the gift. So like here's Here's some cash just to, to pacify you, say, for example. Um, you know, hmm. kids are receiving cash from grandparents, that's fine. But I, I think gift cards are a little bit more appropriate between adults uh, because those that usually receive gift cards, they, they shop at, at those places that the gift cards are for anyways. And at least a little bit more thought goes into it. Well, but what about, I mean, I mean, I guess, I mean, yeah, you can give somebody a, a, a gift card from a from a, a, a coffee shop or something like that, but a lot of people go to the bank. They get gift cards for 50 bucks or 100 bucks or, or whatever, you know, and give them there. I mean, is that any fundamentally any more diff- any different than cash? Fundamentally, no, but at least a little bit more thought went into it, I suppose. Okay. All right. Now, thanks for the call. I, I, I appreciate the perspective. That's why I want to have the discussion. Um, I... I don't, I, I guess I, I just disagree with that. I mean, I, I would rather, all right, if I give, if I want to give you a, a gift, and let's say you have everything, or I don't know what it is that particularly that you particularly want, okay, and I, I give you 100 bucks. well, maybe, you know, maybe you want to spend it in some place that the gift card, you know, isn't, isn't good for, or maybe there's something that you want more than to be able to use it to buy a bunch of lattes. So, I mean, maybe there's something that you would rather have that I don't know. I mean, I guess, to me... I, I don't know that I buy this idea that, well, no thought went into it. Yeah, I mean, there was a degree of thought that went into it. And I guess, I, again, maybe I'm unique in this particular thing. And, again, I'm not turning down somebody that wants to give you a gift. But all being said, if somebody gives me you know, $20 or $50 in cash, I'd rather have that than a gift card to a Burger Doodle or a Starbucks or whatever. Give me the cash. Let me spend it how I want. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Oh, real well, thank you. Gift cards or cash? Um, gift cards. Only okay, tell me why. Because, well, only because cash doesn't really have... It, it, it's going to be spent indiscriminately. I mean, that's that's really the way I look at it. At least, like, yeah. I love receiving gift cards. I mean, I mean, I get them 
everybody that knows me, I just get Home Depot stuff. Nobody buys me in. I just I get Home okay. Depot. <laughs> so no, so so it all comes from Home Depot. That you're you're easy to shop for. Just go to Home yeah, Depot exactly, and get you that yeah. card. It's kind of a one shot deal, you know, and whatever that or a, you know, a case of Miller Lite and whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's I don't know. It just there's something about I don't want to say insensitive, but cash huh. at least with a gift card. There's some. You put some thought into, you know, okay, what do they really like? Do they like this? Do they like that? You don't necessarily go and buy a gift, but at least you put some thought into it versus just cash, which gets spent willy-nilly and, you know. Yeah, I guess, I guess I, well, well, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it, but, I mean, to me, the argument would be the thought that you put into it was, hey, here's somebody who thought enough about me that they decided they wanted to give me something, and, and that's what the thought goes into it. They gave me 50 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever, as opposed to spending it willy-nilly. I mean, I guess, look, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Let, let's say that everybody knows I'm like you, Dave. I, I shop at Walmart that, or at, at Home Depot. That, that's it. He buys all the stuff at, at Home Depot. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. If you give me $100 in cash versus a $100 uh, Home Depot card, yes, did you have to... Did you have to take the time to go to Home Depot and spend the 10 minutes getting the gift card? Yeah, but I don't know that that makes it any more of a thoughtful gift or or whatever. I guess I, to, to me, I want to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to use the gift. And to me, a $100 gift card is just a little bit more difficult to negotiate than a $100 bill. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's talk to Earl in Waukesha. Earlier on WTMJ, good afternoon. Earl? Yes. Hi, Earl. Good afternoon. You're on the air. Yes. Um, I'm not really fond of gift cards or cash, but uh, cash would be better than gift cards. I've got four children that I give a chunk of money to for Christmas every year, and they usually use it to buy a larger item or something the entire family can use. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean... And it, it might not be. And look, and I'm I'm not knocking a McDonald's gift card or a Starbucks gift card or whatever. But you give them the money, and then they get to really go out and find something that they need or that they really want, and and it's easier to spend. Yes, and and that's usually what they do. Gift cards to me are a, a cop out and pretty in you know insensitive. It's just you're too lazy to go out and make the effort to get them something they want. Well, okay, well, thanks for the call. See, I'm not going to just gift cards either. I mean, I, I get, I mean, look, if you know that somebody uh, stops at a particular coffee shop every day and, and spends three or four or five bucks on, you know, coffee, all right, you, you get the gift card. I mean, I don't think it's insensitive. I think it's, hey, this is something that you might, that you might be able to use. At the same time, I, I don't know, maybe they're getting away from coffee or something like that. I'll give them the 25 bucks, and they can decide how they want to use it. Let's talk to Bill in Manitowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Thanks for talking to me. I yes, sir. Thanks cash. for calling. Yeah. I love cash, but I give gift cards for the simple reason. I usually give them to my grandkids and my, uh, you know, my kids. And I can control what they're doing with the gift card. I know what they want. Right. I give them the gift card. They can go buy the model or the size or whatever they want. And I don't have to worry about them buying Starbucks coffee because I don't want to buy Starbucks coffee with my gift. Right. So I you can kind of control. You can kind of control it. Right. I know they need yeah. a TV. Here's a gift card. 
or this store to go get a TV. Pick out the one you want. Yeah, yeah, I, and I I understand that. I mean, thanks for the call. I guess I, yep. you know, for for kids, what what we had done in the past, especially when like my niece and nephew were young, what we would do is we would treat them to shopping sprees. Like, all right, this is you you have. We will take you to a toy store. We will talk. Take you to a game store. We'll take you to you know a clothing store. And you know, we'll you can have a shop, shopping spree. You can buy stuff up to X amount of dollars. That was the way that, in, in that case, for kids, we were able to make sure that they got something that they wanted. But we also had some degree of control over it, so you know, the, the clothing's not age inappropriate, or so that the, the you know your 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 nephew doesn't just completely pee the money away. So those were some of the controls we had. Bottom line is, I mean, it really is kind of the thought that counts. And I guess I go back into this category of if, if you want to give me a gift card, that's absolutely great. But I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with cash either. I still believe cash is king. It's 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, we will continue to keep you updated about this mess on I-94, and, and it's got to be a mess. There's apparently a rollover accident, which is at Highway SS and I-94, blocking the westbound lanes completely. Now, I, I'm out in Delafield in our mobile broadcast facility as part of Kids to Kids Christmas, and I am looking at the freeway. There, There's almost nothing moving west on I-94 from my viewpoint. And the few cars that you see every once in a while are cars I presume got on somewhere, you know, between where this mess is and, and where I am. Eastbound, it is now at a dead stop. Um, I, I have been watching for that ter- entire break during about for about five minutes. There's a truck I've been looking at that has not moved at all. So I... I, I can't emphasize enough, at least for the time being, if you are, again, Waukesha County or west and you're heading eastbound, even though the lanes aren't blocked, you probably want to try to find an alternative route because it is just crawling. And, of course, if you're I-94 west and you're east of that accident, you're not you're not getting through. So um, just plan accordingly. All right. This is the point in time in the week that we, and again, long weeks, long weeks. I mean, you've got you know, the stock market in just an absolute and total free fall. You've got the Mueller reports that are going to be coming out this afternoon, at least sentencing memorandums that he's going to be submitting. You've got the controversy in Wisconsin involving the lame duck legislature, all that different stuff. Um, but... What we do for this segment, the last segments of the program on Friday, we kind of put aside the heavy lifting, and we do a segment I call Pop Culture Corner, which is generally a, a lighter thing. Sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes books, sometimes food, sometimes vacation spots. It just all depends on what happens generally in a week that tickles my fancy a little bit. And this week, one of the interesting stories involved, it came from the world of television. Now, Netflix you probably have Netflix. I think I was the last person in the United States to go ahead and get Netflix. But Netflix is, of course, a streaming service. You pay X amount of dollars a month, $9, $12, whatever it is, and then you have access to all these different movies and shows and things of the like that are on Netflix. And, of course, Netflix doesn't care about ratings. It's sort of like HBO. They don't care about ratings because they they don't have advertising. What Netflix cares about is offering programming that's going to be compelling enough to get people to spend the $9 or the $10 or the $12 or whatever. So that's, that's what Netflix is all about. 
So they have to find things that people want to watch, want to watch, want to watch, want to, to watch. Well, th- there's this phenomena about the TV show Friends. Now, I've got to be the first to tell you, I don't really get this. My wife loves Friends. My wife's friends love Friends. They will get together and they will talk about episodes of Friends that they have seen five and six and seven times. I don't get it. I, I didn't get it when Friends was first on. And even in reruns, I think Friends, I think it's a harmless show. I think it's it's amusing from time to time. But I, I don't I don't obsess over this. It's not on my must-watch list other than sometimes when my wife gets control of the, the clicker and she's not going to watch the Hallmark movies, you know, she'll have Friends on. So being a good husband, I kind of shut up and go along with it. But Friends has been on Netflix for the, the last several years. It's been available since 2015, and it turns out that Friends has been net, one of Netflix's very, very, very most popular offerings. Friends was slated to go off of Netflix. So what happens is Netflix buys the right to show the, the various shows, and those rights expire. That's why you have new stuff that comes on, and you have old stuff that goes off. Um, Friends was supposed to leave Netflix at the end of this month. So at the end of December, Friends was going to disappear. Well, all right, a number of people were very, very upset about it. And Netflix announced this week that they they had struck a deal where they were going to keep Friends on for one more year through 2019. Here's what's interesting about this to me. Um, the, The company, Netflix, they are going to pay $100 million dollars. Netflix is going to pay $100 million to the distributors of Friends to keep Friends on Netflix for one year. To to give you perspective on this, last year, 2018, they paid $30 million. $30 million strikes me as a lot of money, but $100 million to keep the show on. And that's because people absolutely love it, and people aren't tired of it. And people want their friends, and you know Netflix is willing to pony up money because obviously they think it's it's worth it. So a hundred million dollars to keep friends for one year. That tells me there is big money in TV. Pop culture corner this week four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, people are obviously not tired of watching Friends on television. What is the one show, the one TV show, either past or present? that you never get tired of watching. What is your friends? And it might be friends. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. During these segments, as we always say, number one, call in quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. And number two, um, don't overthink it. Go with your, your first instinct. That TV show that you never get tired of watching, because there's obviously a lot of people who never get tired of watching Friends. What's your show? 414-799-1620. Take a quick break. Back with your calls in just a moment. 242. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, out here, Kids to Kids Christmas. We're at Highway 83 in Delafield, the um, Albrecht Century Store, Kids to Kids Christmas. All right, this week, Netflix made a deal. They're going to pay $100 million to keep friends on the air for one more year. That's up from $30 million that they paid last year. The show went off the air in 2004. 2004. All right, what's the TV show that obviously you would never get tired of watching? Let's start with Mike in West Allis. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, Seinfeld is, I mean, I <laughs> can watch that 
any day, any time of the day, no matter what. It's just I never get tired of it. It makes me laugh. I've seen every episode probably ten times, and I laugh every time. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't get it, but... You- you know, well, I don't get it. And, Mike, I mean, I understand what you're saying with, with Seinfeld. You know, and it's funny. When Seinfeld was first on, I did not think that show would age very well. For some reason, I thought it was so topical and so New York that, you know, it was funny, but it wouldn't age right. well. But the truth of the matter is, I'm with you. I, I, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen those silly shows. I still laugh because they're just they're just so absurd. And the, the cast right. is so great. So, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But thanks for calling. I, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, it's just... Seinfeld was what I, and I got to admit, I freely acknowledge I got Seinfeld. I got Friends wrong. I mean, I just didn't understand what the appeal of Friends was going to be. But I'm clearly wrong. They're paying a hundred million dollars. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Nick in Grafton. Nick, you're on WTMJ. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, the show that you never get tired of. I got two. Uh, I got Entourage, and I got um, more, more than that, The Sopranos. I cannot stop watching yeah. that. Okay, now how many times have you seen the Soprano shows? All the way through. I've probably seen them a good ten times. <laughs> okay, I've, so you know how it all turns out. You know the plot line, but you're never tired of it, huh? I never tire of it. I, I like to put it on because uh, you know like, I've already seen it. If I'm doing something, you know, it's on in the background. I don't have to pay that close of attention to it, so it works out that way. And I just love the love the show anyway. So, yeah. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is so great about the Sopranos is every time you watch it, I, it's it's such a well done show. I see different things. You know, I see stuff that I I didn't pick up the first time or the third time or even the fifth time. There's always something new that kind of comes out of it. Some nuance, and that's what I, I'm with you. That keeps me interested. If I if the Sopranos is on and I can't find too many other things I like, it's one of my go to things. I like it a lot. Absolutely, that's that's definitely yeah. Thanks true. for the call. I. Yeah, I appreciate it. Now, I mean, my beef with The Sopranos is it's one where I think it, it went on too long, and I understand because of all the money involved you want to do it. I, I think they started to duplicate themselves and tell the same stories over and over again, but it's still incredibly well done. Michelle in Thienesville. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Well, I don't know what I would do if The Office left Netflix. <laughs> I just love it so much for its timeless humor, and we always find something new that's funny about it. How many times would you say you've seen the episodes? It would be embarrassing to tell you that. I would say, <laughs> oh, 20. <laughs> really? Okay. Now, so did, did, when, 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 it, when it was on in first run, when, when it was on first run, did you watch it there as well? I, I did. Okay. And okay. So, the, it, so would it be fair to say that, I mean, The Office, that's one of the reasons why you have Netflix? That is the reason we have Netflix. <laughs> well, and, and that's, you know, that right there, Michelle, is obviously why Netflix was willing to spend $100 million for one year to keep friends, because they obviously exactly. figure there's a lot of people out there, like you are with The Office, that friends goes away and those subscribers go away. Yes. Um, interesting. Thanks for the call. No, I appreciate it. I, I, I like The Office, too. I, I I didn't get into it that much when it was on the first time, and so I really, I, I think they're, they're cute and clever. I don't know who the characters are or anything like that, though. Rachel in Shorewood. Hi, Rachel. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Okay, the TV show that you just never get tired of. Um, That would be Scrubs. Okay. It's got to be. Okay, tell me why. Tell me why. Um, well, I grew up, my mom was a nurse, 
Uh, my dad was an EMT, and I have just always loved medical shows. It's just been my thing, and honest to God, I've seen it over 11 times. And <laughs> it's, just, it's always been my favorite show. Okay, so you, you know the plot lines, you know what's going to happen, none of that matters, you just still love watching the show. I can honestly repeat some of those episodes verbatim. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> no, I, well, that, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate. It. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, I've seen Scrubs. I, I uh, about. I again, that that wasn't one that I got into that much. But I mean, I again, it's it's funny how the different TV shows bring about this this type of passion that you just never get tired of watching them. Let's talk to. Um, let's see. Let's go to uh, Carla in Milwaukee. Carla, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. I'm a big fan of yours, by the way. Well, thank you. You never get tired of listening to the show, right? No, absolutely not. My mom's been listening <laughs> to you since before me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good. See, that that's it. I want to be multi-generational. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay, the TV show that just you absolutely never get tired of watching. Okay, so I definitely agree with Seinfeld, but my show is Grey's Anatomy. Um, we could be, you know, we could be married, Carla, because my wife, that's one of her, uh, the Hallmark movies, Friends, and Grey's Anatomy. She just yeah. absolutely loves Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, my best okay, friend here, and I have been watching it since it was on TV started. Long time. Okay, here's, here's my question about Grey's Anatomy. I... Is it? I didn't. I have not watched it until. I mean, I'll pick up an episode or so when 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 she's got it on the TV. So I really don't know the characters and the backstory. Is it now? Be honest with me. Is it good enough that I should go back and find some place where they stream it and go back to the beginning and, and try to watch it all the way through so oh, I understand absolutely. who the characters are and what's happening? Yeah. It is, huh? Yes, definitely. It is worth that binge. Reference and it, yeah, the beginning matters so much. <laughs> Oh, well, right. I mean, I watch this stuff, and I have no idea who the, I mean, and, and my wife will try to walk me through it. Okay, well, this is this doctor, that's Gray, and this is this person, and that person was yeah, married to this the, person or whatever. Yeah, the characters progress, and they mature, you know, with experience, and you can see their relationships progress, and, you know, there's people that die, and it's just, it's like a late right. night soap opera, you know. Got it. Well, okay, but but it, but it 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 you're telling me it is worth my time to go back and spend twenty or thirty or forty oh, hours sure. of my life catching up on that. Okay, yeah, well, I'm, Carla, since, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I appreciate that. Thanks for the call, Carla. Since you're good enough to listen to the program and your mom got me into it, maybe I'll give Bray's Anatomy season one or two a try. Richard on the east side. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, your favorite show, the one that you never get tired of watching, would be Frasier. Okay. is on primetime these days on uh, on the Cozy TV. And right. in particular, I really love to watch Niles, the brother. I oh, think. what? Yeah, David, uh, David, what, Hyde Pierce? Is that who that was? Yeah, great. Yes. Did a great job. Yes. And also the bulldog character, Dan Butler. Oh, right. That, that, that was Carla's husband, right? Is that who that was? Or no? Uh, oh, no, no. Is no, that Carla's that's husband? Cheers. No. I think you're talking about. Okay. Come on, cheers. Okay. Uh, this is the sportscaster on the show. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Were you into Cheers? Because, of course, Frasier was a spinoff of Cheers. I was, but I didn't like Cheers as much as I liked Frasier. Interesting, interesting. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kelsey Grammer is, I, I think he's, while an odd guy, I think he's great in, in pretty much everything he does. Bottom line is, 
for people who think, well, these old TV shows are just old TV shows and there's no interest in them, well, I mean, what happened with Friends and the money that people are willing to spend to, to keep it on tells you that there's a lot of interest out there in it, and that's very cool. I just think this really is. It's We're right now in, a, in really a, a golden age of television. When you look at all the great shows that are out there that you can access and all the new ones that they're making, my biggest beef is there's just not enough hours in the day to find some of the good shows that are out there. The latest one that I'm binge-watching on Netflix is, is Ozark, which is, it's an odd show, but for some reason it's captivated me. So that's probably how I'll spend a chunk of hours this weekend when I'm not looking at sporting events. Okay, out of time, 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out Scott Warris has made it out here. He's made it through the traffic jam. We'll get uh, stories from him, tales from the front. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.